when God saves us and helps us overcome a sin and gives us victory over sin, nowhere will you find in the Bible that he now all of a sudden gives you permission to return to it because now he thinks that you're strong enough to handle it. Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church Podcast. It is our desire at The Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, The Anchor Podcast features Sunday sermons. To hear this live and before subscribers do, join us in Rockport, Maine on Sunday mornings at 10 for worship and before that at 845 for prayer service. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Listen, as we begin this morning, I want to read uh, a few verses out of 2 Peter, just kind of set this up. You may have heard this verse before, maybe not, but it's uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. Peter says this, says, Therefore I always remind you about these things. Even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth, you have been taught. And then he says in verse 13, he says, And it is only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. Fast forward to verse 15. So I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things. In essence, what Peter is telling not only the early church, but he's telling us is, look, I know I've already told you these things, but I feel impressed by God that I need, that I need to keep repeating these things again and again and again until you get it, until you can't forget it, right? For you fellas in here that like sports, I, you, you know, my, my favorite ball coach, good old Nick Saban, he, he actually teaches a lot that, look, it's not that we teach this until you get it right. We teach it until you can't get it wrong, right? And that's what Peter was saying is, look, we want this thing to get so down in your heart that you can't forget it. It's second nature. Um, Let me just kind of add this. As I thought about this verse kind of over the past few days, uh, I I couldn't help but to laugh because it took me back to when I was a little boy and I remember sitting in the back of my parents' car all squeezed in. You know, there's only three seats back there and there was more than three of us and so we were all squeezed in and and I couldn't help but to think that every time we were going to someone's house, it was a family member, one of my parents' friends, uh, you know, we just knew like clockwork at some point the speech Uh, you know, the reminder of the do's and don'ts was going to come up sometime during the process, right, before we reached our destination. And, you know, it typically went down like this. Uh, You know, my parents were genius, I guess. They'd wait till we were about five, ten minutes out, I guess because they wanted that, you know, that news to be fresh in our young and, you know, whatever, uh, you know, developing minds. But, uh, you know, to get our, what they would do is they'd get our attention, they'd tell us to listen, and then they'd pause for this dramatic effect, right? It's brilliant. Right, and then they'd begin to remind us, "Look, boys, you don't you don't call an adult by his first name. You always say Mr. So and So and Mrs. So and So. You always say yes, sir, no, sir, no, ma'am, yes, ma'am. Right? You always say thank you and no, thank you. Boy, if they put anything in front of you, you better eat it without complaining. Right? They would say, "Look, don't interrupt others while you, while they're talking. Speak when spoken to. You gotta love that age. Speak when spoken to. Right? You're there to be seen, not heard. Right? If they tell you, look, sit down. Right? Where we tell you to, if we want you to move around, we'll let you know. And if I gotta correct you, I'm only gonna do it once. Right? And then they would, uh, you know, after they had thoroughly reminded us of all that good stuff, you know, once again, that they would wrap up the speech, right? And I'm telling you, it was, it was like perfect timing nonetheless. For you Mainers, it always happened right when we pulled into the dooryard. It was, I mean, perfect timing. And they would end it with this, boy, if you don't behave, right, when we get home, we're going to give you a whipping. Right now, now listen. They didn't. They didn't spank. They didn't give a talking to. That's what yuppies do. We were. We were. We were proper rednecks. And so, anyways, we we would get a whipping when we got home. All right. So, anyways, you didn't even put a G in there. Whipping. 
Anyways, has anybody ever been there? Yeah, all right. The rest of you raised by yuppies. All right, but anyways, <laughs> I was raised by some rednecks. Anyways, listen, I, I kind of tell that to say this. Look, I fully realize what we're going to talk about today is going to be a, just a good old healthy reminder for most people in the room. But I want to say this, and I mean this with all seriousness. I really feel in my heart that what we're going to talk about today for some of you in this room is a warning. And, uh, and I, I have felt a pretty strong burden this week to share something. And, and a lot of times when I know the Lord's putting something there and, and it's heavy, I, you know, I really don't know why he's doing it. I don't know who it's for. I just know I'm supposed to do it. And so this morning is definitely a warning. And so I'm going to encourage you guys that wherever you're at, look, guard your heart, open your heart, and just ask the Holy Ghost to talk to you today. And I believe you will. Amen? Amen. Let's pray one more time. Father, thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for every person in this room. Lord, you said in your word, God, where two or three are gathered in your house, God, you're there. And so, Lord, I just thank you right now for your anointing and your presence, God, come in this room. Father, I pray that the very authority in the atmosphere would begin to shift in this moment. And, Lord, that you would grab our hearts, that you would literally grab us by the face, and you would look us in the eye, God, and you would begin to speak to us. And so, Lord, today we just open up our hearts, and, uh, Father, we just ask that the Holy Spirit would have free reign, God, in our lives today to say whatever he wants to say. Lord, we do choose today, God, to pull up to you and say, God, speak. We say that, God, speak. Lord, make it really clear to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, I want to I start off actually by reading the same verse that we began with last week out of Luke 15, and we'll, we'll kind of set the course and then we'll dive in. But it says this in Luke 15, it says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. Wave your hand at me if you've heard that verse before. Awesome. Listen, if you were here last week, you might remember that I told you that in the summer of 1999, I was sitting in a, in a lobby in a hotel room, and, uh, and I was just reading that verse, minding my own business, just trying to get some daily Bible reading in, and God spoke to me, and he spoke to me really strong and really clear. In an instant, just like that, I knew that God was telling me that the woman that's in that parable represented the church. In other words, it represented the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. And then I knew, once again, instantly, that the coin that was in... Uh, that parable there represented the glory of God. What I'm trying to tell you is, is that God spoke to me and told me that uh, his church had lost his glory, right? That his church had lost his glory. What that means is simply this, that the church has lost the, his weightiness, his splendor, his majesty, his undeniable manifested presence, his very essence. Listen, if you've ever been somewhere where the glory of God came, you didn't have to second guess. You knew God was there, yes? And you know that when you've touched the glory of God, when you experience the glory of God, it's kind of hard to live without it, yes? Great place to say amen for y'all that know what I'm talking about. Listen, when I heard this, my initial response was this, is God, how do we lose it? But more so, my, my uh, wonder, the thing I couldn't help but to wonder was this, is how in the world do we get it back? How do we get the glory of God back into our lives, right? Because you can't lose something that you've never had. Yes? And so, once again, I believe the answer to that question is found in that same portion of Scripture. So, once again... Let's look at it. She loses a coin. How does she respond? I think it's the same way you and I need to respond. The first thing that the lady did, she did what? Is she lit a lamp. I think it's past time that we begin to light a lamp in the church of God. Right? And, and what I mean by that is this. As we know the Bible says that Jesus is the light of the world. We also know that it says that he is the word of God. And so we need to let the word of God to begin to thoroughly examine us as the psalmist said. Right? Search me, O God, and know me if there's any wicked way within me. 
reveal it to me, right? Because he's not revealing it for himself. He knows it's there. He wants to reveal it to us, right? The second thing that, that needs to happen is this, is we need to begin to sweep the house. Who's the house? We're the house. The Bible says that we are the house of the Holy Spirit. Yes? Isn't that what the Bible says? So that we need to do simply this, that we need to allow the Word of God and the Spirit of God to begin to clean house on what He exposes, what His light shows. We need to let Him clean it up, right? And that comes through one word. It's called repentance, right? It's only through repentance that we can have clean hands and a pure heart before the Lord. The third thing that needs to happen is this, is once we have a clean heart, is we need to begin to search carefully until we find what's missing. Yes. I think one of the things that grieves me about the church of God is that we're content instead of having an urgency and a hunger to go find what we've lost. Right. In other words, I love what it says. And I believe it's Psalm 24. It says uh, where God says, seek my face and my heart responds, your face I will seek. See, the problem with the church today is we're so caught up and looking for his hands that we're not We're not even worried about his face. Right? We just want to know what blessings we can get, what, what we can have, what's in it for us. But the bottom line is if we want to see the glory of God, then we got to begin to seek his face simply just to know him. Amen? Amen. Now listen, while I am sitting here today, I'm totally convinced that through all of my studying that I've done of, of basically of, you know, of past history, of past moves of God, of past revivals, that I'm convinced that this is the answer, not only because I've read it, because I've experienced it personally myself, that when I've done those things, I've seen God come. But, but, I, but I'm afraid to say today that I'm literally, I have to admit that I'm fearful that there's those that are in the body of Christ who feel as if this process that we just went through is completely unnecessary. Why do they think it's unnecessary? The response that you get at a rapid rate is simply this, it's because we're under grace. It's because we're under grace. Now, now listen, I, I am a person that loves the grace of God. The grace of God has changed my life dramatically. But there's things that are happening in the church today that are out of, out of balance. It's excessive and it's distorted from what true biblical grace is. Yes? So listen, um, I don't know if you've looked around lately. But once again, this idea of, um, you know, once again, I'll just call it a loose grace is beginning to dominate in the church more and more, right? And, uh, you know, so for this reason, that, that's why I feel the burden. In fact, last week while I was preaching in the middle, the, the burden hit me. And I realized I need to talk about this. And so today I simply want to talk to you about the fullness of God's grace. The fullness, key word there, the fullness of God's grace. Are y'all with me today? So listen, biblically we know that the, the word grace is found in the New Testament more than 150 times, all right? And, and, you know, more often than not, when people hear the word grace, this is the definition that they grab a hold of, okay? They, they grab a hold of the concept of, a, of God giving or God demonstrating his kindness, his favor to someone who doesn't deserve it. In other words, that if we took a poll and we asked people in the church, how would you define grace? The majority of the people would define grace like that. It's an unmerited favor. It's undeserved. It's freely give, right? Amen. Now, probably one of the most well-known verses that speaks to that kind of grace is Ephesians 2, 7, and 8. And I'm reading this out of the Passion Translation, but it says this. It says, throughout the coming ages, we will be the visible display of the infinite, limitless riches of his grace and kindness. Y'all thankful for the grace and kindness of God? I am today. 
says, which was showered upon us in Jesus Christ. For it was only through this wonderful grace that we believed in him. Nothing we did could ever earn this salvation, for it was the gracious gift from God that brought us to Christ. Listen, if you're here today and you have the privilege to basically say that you identify yourself with Jesus Christ, uh, I, I think that you would be the first one to admit that the only way that you could do that is because God chose to show you his goodness, his grace, his kindness, his love, going down the list. Amen? Now, now listen, I, I think that there's this, that if we remember that we were the ones that were lost and dead in our sin, but yet Jesus came because he loved us and died on the cross for us so that you and I might be saved through faith, right? So it's this kind of idea maybe that I want you to grab a hold here, that, that even in our best day, right, even on our best day, you and I aren't good enough, right, that we need the grace of God in our life. And so I, I just want to make something really clear. I'm not here to belittle the grace of God. I'm very thankful for the grace of God. But, but I want to make something really clear. As amazing as all that is, that's only part of what grace really means, See, there's another definition of grace. There's actually several, and I'm only going to focus on two today. But, but the full picture of grace is simply this, is that we know that the word of grace also means this. It means the sustaining influence or the sustaining power that enables a person to do God's will. Very different from the first one. Right? That the sustaining influence, the sustaining power that enables or empowers us to do God's will. Now, we see the uses of this word grace in Romans 6.14. It says this. It says, sin is no longer your master. Everybody get that? Sin is no longer your master. It says, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's, watch this, God's enabling, empowering grace. And what, simply what that means is the reason we don't live under sin is because the enabling grace empowers us to live above it. Yeah. Yes, to overcome it. Is that true? Yes. So listen, with those definitions in mind, I, I want us to think about something. If, if we only focused on the first one, if we only, you know, if grace only went and, uh, you know, no further than if it stopped at, you know, our entry point into salvation, and once again, that saving grace, then, then I think that not only would you and I be forced to live in this vicious cycle of struggle, defeat, struggle, defeat, struggle, defeat, but ultimately you and I would have to admit that our sin is somehow greater and more powerful than the grace of God. Do you understand that? So in essence, watch this. People who are embracing just simply the first one and say, I'm going to blow it every day and I'm going to mess up and, I'm, and there's no change, there's no possibility for me. I'm always going to live on the struggle bus, right? Th those people who live like that, ultimately what they're saying is, is God is not bigger than their sin. Right? And that's not accurate. That's not true. So listen, as you can see, I want you to understand from those two definitions today that the fullness of God's grace encompasses our whole Christian life from the beginning to the end. It doesn't just get us started. It doesn't just keep us, you know, whatever out of the doghouse. Literally, it helps us go from the beginning to the end and fulfill God's will for our lives. Amen? Amen. So, so maybe let me say it this way. That, that while the first definition helps me have confidence in my salvation, the, the second definition helps me understand that there's no sin that I will ever encounter that God will not help me overcome. 
right? And I want you to notice something. I didn't say, I didn't say that he can't forgive. I said there's no sin he can't help you overcome. He'll, he'll forgive you, but the goal there is to help you overcome. Amen? L- listen, I told you this before, but I'm going to say it out of personal experience because I feel like there's some people here in the spot today. I remember one time as a young man, I don't know, I was probably about 22, 23 years old, and, and I grew up around really, really angry folks. And uh, when you grow up around really angry folks and you got a fiery person out to yourself, it just kind of hops out there on you, right? Like kangaroo, it just jumps out sometimes. Anyway, so, I mean, I get angry, and I remember one day, uh, you know, praying. It was whatever, in the middle of the night, and I was praying, and I asked the Lord, Lord, how many times am I going to have to ask you to forgive me for getting angry? Right? And here's the thing. When you're stuck in, in that struggle to feet, struggle to feet, struggle to feet, it brings a lot of shame. Yeah? And, and I remember asking the Lord, you, you know, basically, Lord, um, I'm embarrassed pretty much by asking you this again. And I remember asking the Lord, Lord, are you pleased with me? And I heard the Lord clear as a bell if I've ever heard him. He said, Quentin, I am pleased with you because you want to change. In other words, you want the overcoming grace in your life. But the moment that you say, this is just who I am, that's the moment I become displeased with you. And I think that's the problem with a lot of the church. They have surrendered to the fact that this is just the way they are, and they haven't allowed the fullness of God's grace to come in their life and change them. Great place to say amen. So listen, I want to show you, I want to show you actually what, where Paul mentions both definitions in one scripture, or actually two verses, but they're together. So look at Titus 2, 11 through 12. We'll see the fullness of God's grace. So Titus 2, 11 through 12. He said, for the remarkable, undeserved grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It's the first definition. It teaches us, what's it? What teaches us? The enabling, the empowering grace to reject ungodliness and worldly and moral desires and to live sensible, upright, and godly lives. Lives with a purpose that reflects spiritual maturity in this, watch this, present age. In this present age. That's the second definition. So, so listen, I, I don't think you can get any clearer than that. Right? So, so listen, I think it's safe to say that God has called you and I to live in the full, full revelation of his grace, not a partial revelation of it. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. So let me just say this, because I think it's important to understand. It's in the fullness of God's grace, the fullness of that definition, that's where victory is found. Right? And, and to understand something, please today, that when God saves us and helps us overcome a sin and gives us victory over sin, nowhere will you find in the Bible that he now all of a sudden gives you permission to return to it because now he thinks that you're strong enough to handle it. But I've heard man, countless Christians say that, but I can't find it in the Word. Yes? Why would he deliver us from something and then say, it's all right, go on back to it? That's called the dog returned to its vomit. Yes? So, so listen, the crazy part about all this is, in, in spite of all these clear biblical truths, and I'm just giving you a fraction of what's really there. L- listen, there, there are still those, and I don't typically do this, so if you're visiting today, you know, just give me grace. All right? So anyways, but, but, but there's, there's still those who teach and believe that, that our sin is a non-issue when it comes to our relationship with God. That our sin is a non-issue. And listen, 
And they say our sin's a non-issue, not because they've received victory over it, but because they believe grace has given them the ability to live as they freely choose to live. And, and, and once again, they say, after all, am I not eternally, eternally loved and eternally covered by grace? So, so once again, it doesn't matter what I do. God's not going to really make a big deal out of my sin because I'm good. He paid it all. Past, present, and future. Now, before I, before I hop into this, um, I, w- I wanted to simply say this. When I blow it, there's a reason my spirit is so unsettled. The devil's not convicting me. <laughs> right? So, so if it's all good and I can do whatever I want, then why, why would I do something stupid? Because we all do. Why do I feel convicted? Brother, you're under the law. No, that's not the law. It's not the law. The Holy Spirit's job is to make, help me to walk in all truth. And when I'm not walking in the truth, he'll let me know I'm not walking in the truth. And he convicts me. Why? Because God delights in mercy. And he convicts me so I can get my heart right and be in right fellowship with him. And I can walk in peace. Yes? So, so listen, this mindset that says, once again, that, that acts like, you know, grace is a license to sin. I, I want to show you a verse that really... It, it, it'll recenter you. I'll just say it that way. It says, um, God doesn't think about sin the same way I think that a lot of people do today. Anyway, so I'll just read it. Hebrews 10 says this. It says, for if we continue to persist in deliberate sin after we have known and received the truth. Watch this. Who has known and received the truth? Believers. He's not talking to lost people. He's talking to believers, Right? And I'm going to fast forward 29 because I don't want to stir up a hornet's nest in this place. You can go read on your own. Work it out with Jesus. All right. Verse 29 says, how much more? Watch this. Talking about people who just, let's do what we want. How much more severely do you suppose a person deserves to be judged who has contempt for God's son and who scorns, which actually another translation says, tramples underfoot the blood of the new covenant that made him holy? And who mocks the spirit who gives him grace. Y'all hearing that? The, the very spirit that they think that gives them the liberty to live as they choose, he's telling us right there that they're actually mocking him by their lifestyle. That's heavy. Yeah? L- listen, the spirit of grace there that's being mocked is the Holy Spirit. Okay? And, and it's another way. We've talked about it for the previous weeks. But listen, that's another way that we grieve the heart of the Holy Spirit and we quench the Holy Spirit in our lives. So, l- listen, while I was studying all this, I, I came across a, a letter that was written to a pastor that was absolutely disheartening. And, and I think it's just a, a, you know, just a blimp on the radar of what's happening. And, and I, I'm saying this because I got, I got friends who have went this route. Okay? In other words, guys that I was in school with, guys that used to preach alongside of, I'm like, yeah, that's y'all. All right, here we go. So, so this letter basically concerns the imbalances of the modern-day grace message. But it says this. says, this is a person talking. They said, I've seen firsthand the changes that come with people who embrace this message of excessive grace. I joined a small group three years ago that went from having regular prayer meetings and living holy connected lives together to stating, in other words, they went from praying to saying this, prayer is a work and denies grace. Prayer's work, so we don't need to do it. And then they said this, and sin allows grace to do its great work. 
Now, my problem is, is in all that prayer meeting and all them Bible study times, did anybody ever read this verse? I'm going to throw one up here for you. And I'm not trying to pick on them. I'm just want to protect us. Romans 6. It's Paul talking. The guy who, whom they pulled their grace message from, his writings, also said this. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, sin so grace can show off, right? He says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And then it goes on to talk about walking in the newness of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Are y'all following me today? They went on to say this. After they said sin allows grace to do its great work, they said this. All of our prayer meetings and Bible studies were traded in for game nights. And I'm obviously not against game nights. But they said this. And nights, so game nights in, nights out at the bar to witness where many from the group got plastered all in the name of grace. Then they said, my heart has been so broken for my dear friends who I walked so closely with as a group. Says they have embraced sin as not only acceptable, but justifiable and desirable. I have been completely ostracized and mocked for my stand in holiness. They don't even call me by my name anymore. They call me Pharisee. Unfortunately, I've had to step completely away from these loved ones, and I'm spending my life in prayer for them. Let me maybe pause here for a second. Are there people who are... Uh, you know, whatever, who are Pharisees, religious, legal, yeah, there's folks out there. We all know them. We've all met them, right? But, but just because somebody believes in holiness and believes what is right, it doesn't make them that. N- in other words, what you're seeing is, is this. You're seeing people who are beginning to call good evil that are in the church, not just in the world. So here's what's wild. As I was reading these letters, I also found ones that were, were like this, where, where people who were on church staffs talked about how basically that they heard the F word, in other words, said more in, than they've ever heard anywhere else. In other words, unfiltered language, right? That they talked about basically seeing adultery. They talked about basically uh, guys becoming homosexuals, guys who leaving their wives, uh, basically folks that are mocking holiness, right? Once again, calling evil good. Now here's what was wild. All those letters weren't just from random Joe Blows. Those were from pastors and leaders in the church. That's what they were doing, are doing, right? Thanks for coming on this journey of grace with me since I've left my wife and I'm in love with this man. Where's the book? Are y'all following me? So, so listen, I want us to notice a few things. I'm not trying to pick on anybody today, but, but I want us to notice a few things. I want us to see how these guys actively went from actively seeking uh, you know, God through prayer and through studying the word all the way to they began to actually halt every bit of that because in their mind it resembled works. You know, how did they go from that, right? Let me maybe just say this. I'm not so sure if the enemy's got a better plan to take someone out of the fight than that. If he can take you out from praying to, oh, that's a work, you're done, well, he just removed you out of the fight. But, but watch this. When they did that, notice that they began to compromise, which caused them to actually do what? To lose their pursuit, lose their focus, lose their desire to grow, to lose, and probably the most important, their fear of God, to lose their holiness, to lose their teachability, to lose their willingness to be accountable and their willingness to walk in unity. It's just a downward spiral, right? And, and if that wasn't dangerous enough, like we said earlier, they began to see sin as an opportunity to experience God's grace. So, listen, what's so wild is when, and I've seen this plenty, when, when these folks basically get to this point, they feel as if they can't do anything wrong in their own eyes. 
right? And, and so when someone dares, right, to question them about their choices, uh, they quickly become offended, right? And then they, uh, their own mean spirit, right, they begin to lash out in their own judgmental spirit, right? In other words, the very thing that they're accusing the church for, they begin to operate in. Right, And they begin to say, guess what, uh, once again, it's the accuser of the brethren, but they begin to say, you're a Pharisee, you're legalistic, once again, you're a grace hater, you got a religious spirit, all those things. Now, now let's stop for a second and consider all that. Hopefully I'm communicating all this well enough. But, 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 but tell me, tell me where we think Jesus is at in any of that. So what's so wild is this, is, is, is there's this arrogance that comes and, and, and where they say basically that they're bringing a reformation to the church. In other words, Luther only got it half right, Calvin only got it half right, they have a greater anointing and they're laying down the law. Boom, here we go. The law meaning of the revolution of how God's moving. That's scary. So listen, a, a pastor said this, and I think it applies here very well. He said this, a compromised gospel will always produce compromised fruit. A compromised gospel will always produce compromise fruit. So, listen, I don't know about you, but let me maybe just say this, that it appears to me that the imbalances and the excess and the distortion of this message, these people are embracing it not because they want freedom from legalism. It's like they want freedom from God's standards. Right? And that's a scary thing, guys. Right? And, and, and listen, I, I believe that many, many, many people are... Uh, using grace as an excuse to remain in sin rather than using grace as an escape from sin. Okay, and, and I'll just say this, if, if you, hopefully you understand this and see this, but all through that, all you see is this, is the spirit of this age is creeping into the church. It's it. I, you know, li- listen, it's like almost like what's the difference now, y'all know I'm not a political person, but what's the difference of what you see on CNN and Fox News and how everybody's hollering and fussing? And I, I can't take that stuff. I like peace too much. Amen. And, but how they get on there and it's just a nonstop argument uh, because somebody doesn't agree with them. It's the exact same thing. Somebody doesn't agree with me, so now I'm going to lash out and I'm going to call them names. It's the exact same spirit, and it's not God's spirit. Yeah? Well, I was... You know, studying this, there was two scriptures that really were like predominant, you know, in, in, in my heart. And I want to share them with you. The first one is this, and, and this may be a hard pill to swallow. You may think this is salty, uh, but, but it's the word, all right? <clears throat> Second Timothy chapter 3, because I think, I think Paul was talking about our day. Here we go. Second Timothy 3 says, But understand this, that in the last days, dangerous times of great stress and trouble will come, difficult days that will be hard to bear. Verse 2, you're going to see some resemblance here. For people will be lovers of self, narcissistic, self-focused, lovers of money, impelled by greed, boastful, arrogant, revilers. What does that mean? It means that they criticize in an abusive or angrily insulting manner. What we just talked about. Disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and profane. And they will be unloving, devoid of natural human affection, calloused and inhuman, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, devoid of self-control, intemperament, immoral, brutal, haters of good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of sensual pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of outward Godliness, which is holding on to a, a form of outward godliness, a religion, although they have denied its power. And then it says, for their conduct nullifies their claim of faith. 
So catch that. Most, most translations read like this, that Paul said they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power, right? And uh, listen, what kind of power are those guys denying? I just want to propose to you today that, that they are denying the power of grace. Does that make sense? That they're denying the power of grace. In other words, they here they are that they're literally denying and insulting the spirit of grace that actually has the power and the ability to change them more into the likeness of Jesus. And, um, you know, I'll just say this, and, and I'm not trying to harp on all this, but, but when you actually look at true biblical grace, biblical grace never leads you into a bondage that you need to be delivered from later. Yes, and I have met a, I've met a, too many people that I know that walked with God, fast, prayed, sought heaven, preached the house down, that now need to be delivered from sin that they're in. Yes? So, so listen, the second verse came to my mind is this, and this is what I think is really amped up. And, and um, I don't say these things, but I'm going to say it today. Uh, be careful who you listen to and what you watch on Christian TV. You know, if you know me, you know I don't say that. I normally do this, and I bite my tongue and move on in life. But I'm telling you, be careful because of this right here. It says, for the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine and accurate instruction that challenges them with God's truth. It says, but wanting to have their ears tickled with something pleasing, they will accumulate for themselves many teachers, one after another, chosen to satisfy their own desires and to support the errors they hold says, and will turn their ears away from the truth and will wander off and miss and man-made fictions and will accept the unacceptable. Kind of clear, right? Listen, I I just want to give you a thought here. Does the Bible not say in John chapter 1 that Jesus came to reveal grace and truth? Go read it today so you can check your head. Yeah, yeah, it does, okay? John chapter 1, he came to rule grace and truth. Listen, I've met a lot of people that uh, embrace grace, and I've met a lot of people that embrace truth, right? These people do what you want. These people will just beat the heck out of you, right? I mean, it's like, oh, my Lord, help me, right? So anyways, both are Jesus help us. But listen, if, if, we, if we want to be people that dwell in the glory of God, we need to embrace both because we need to embrace the fullness of who he is because he's in both, Amen. Listen, I want, to, I want to actually share something with you in light of that, that itching gear scripture we heard. Um, last week, I referred to the revival in the Hebrides. In other words, with Duncan Campbell, right? Was, and, and basically, if you don't know what the Hebrides are, they're, they're the islands off the northern part of Scotland. And, uh, you know, in the, basically in the 40s and 50s, God moved, like, incredible. Like, so much so, just one thought, uh, a cop didn't even get called out on a job for, like, three, three to five years because there was no crime. Because God moved and so many people were saved and God was doing this thing. Watch this. In, in the height of that revival, Duncan Campbell, who was one of the leaders in it, but basically God gave him a vision. And in the vision, he saw this field and there was a massive crowd of people listening to someone preach. And, and even though he should have rejoiced that someone was preaching, something on the inside of him didn't settle. It just didn't feel right. And so as he began to make his way to where the voice was and he finally got there, he actually saw... Uh, Uh, an individual standing on the stump preaching with people gathered around. The only problem was is the person that was on the stump was the devil preaching the word of God. And in the middle of it, the devil turned and faced Duncan. He said to Duncan Campbell, he said, he said, the greatest weapon I have against God's people is the anointing of God's, sorry, is the preaching of God's word without the anointing. 
Yes. So, so listen, the reason is, is because that leads to deception. If you sit here today and you go, well, the devil would never use the word of God. Go read Matthew and, uh, 4 where Jesus is being tempted. What happened? He quoted the Bible to him in partial truths once again to try to get him to fall. If we think he doesn't do the same with us today, we're lying to ourselves. Yes? So let me kind of give you some thoughts here, okay? The, the reason these people gather people around and they have tickling ears and, you know, to hear what they want to hear is because they don't like correction. Y'all look at me. If we're going to be grown up in this thing, if we're going to be mature men and women of God, then we have to understand that correction is part of the deal, right? And if we don't think that we're, we're somehow that we've elevated ourselves above correction, then you might as well remove the word of God from your life. Because the Bible says in uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, says, for all scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that the man or the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Right? Let me give you another thought here because if we think once again, well, God's a loving father. He would never correct me. Hebrews 12, right? And I am all, listen, the sonship message has changed my life, right? Dramatically, maybe more than any message outside the gospel that I've ever heard. But, but to understand that imbalance, the Bible says in Hebrews that God disciplines those he loves, right? And who's he talking about? He's talking about his children. You can go read it. Hebrews 12. So my fear is, is this, is that this new movement that's moving in our nation, what they're doing is, is they're producing illegitimate sons and daughters in the kingdom. Because if we don't think, once again, the Bible even says that if he cannot correct you, then you're not a part of the family. Hebrews 12. It's in the book. I'm not making it up, right? I know I'm salty today, guys. It's all right. <laughs> All right. Let, let, let me say this last part here. Um, so something that has really bothered me for the past few years, and I just, I'm just like, man, I, I don't get it, is, is people, people who, once again, it's like this. Um, all right, let me give a little balance to this. Let me give grace, okay? Is there's not a person in this room that doesn't have premeditated sin, Right? In other words, that you know, like, like, you know, you want to go say something, you're like, that's flesh. I'm saying, anyway, God will forgive me. Right? <laughs> so, you know, hopefully, you, if you're lying, you're frying, right? All right, so listen. <laughs> listen, everybody messes up like that, okay? But, but, but there's this sense what I think that really bothers me is people who have these habitual sins in their life that aren't just like little mess ups. They're blatant. And, and the thing that disturbs me is they say this, and I've heard repeatedly for years, it doesn't convict me. I don't feel convicted about that. Now, now listen, here's what hit me this morning in prayer is, I'll just say, I'll just say a different way, is, is when did our convictions have more authority in our lives than the Word of God? Yes? Because listen, if I believe the book and I live by the book that I say I should, listen, if I feel it or not, if the book says it, I need to come in line with the book. You, you know, because the proof is, is if I don't feel convicted about it, that's not legalism. That's not religion. It's called hardness of heart. And the Bible makes it really clear that when you keep on sinning, you do whatever you want to do, that guess what will happen to your heart? It'll get hardened. Right? And so, so there needs to come a point where we need to ask the Lord to soften our hearts again so we can hear the Holy Ghost again and so we can have a tender heart towards Him so we can be sensitive to the Spirit of God. Yes. Right? Amen. 
I think with everything that you and I are talking about today, I think, th- I think there's this thing that, and I'm sure plenty of people would argue with this, but if I could sum it up in a little package, I'd say it this way. Uh, I would say that, then we're going to throw it up on the screen, that the misappropriation, in other words, the misapplication of grace has caused many believers to surrender their divine inheritance, which is to live in the glory of God, right? To live in his prayers, their divine inheritance, their divine authority, and their divine identity, possibly more than any other lie of the enemy at this moment in time. Yes? So, so listen, if we're sitting here today and we're shaking our head, we believe that, then I'm just saying, let's please protect our hearts. Yes, because it's coming at you in a thousand different angles. And I'm not going to sit up here because I fear God too much to call names. Not going to do it. I'm just saying be discerning and be careful and, uh, and, and ask God to really protect you, okay? Because listen, it's my opinion. We'll go full circle here. That when we begin to understand and we begin to embrace the fullness of God's grace, that, that, that the fullness of God, God's grace actually empowers you and I and encourages you and I to light a lamp, <laughs> to sweep the house, and to search carefully until we find it. God's grace, the reason they're saying don't do it, actually empowers you to do those things. Yes, if, if you're sitting here today and you're not allowing on a consistent basis, I'm not talking about self-condemnation and, and a performance mentality. That's not what I'm talking about. But if you've never laid yourself bare before the Lord and said, Lord, search me, then you're missing out on what God can do in your life. Right? Because here's what's so awesome. Is God good? Yes. He's not going to point out something in your life that he can't help you overcome, but he's also not going to point out something in your life that, that helps you. He's going to point out things that hurt you and hurt you from walking with him so you can live in the fullness that he promised you. Right? He's not mean. Right? It's still an it's still uh, imbalance. Right? All right. Let me say, um, yeah, let me say this. I said everyone close. I lied. Um, wasn't premeditated. I forgot. <laughs> I, I heard I heard something years ago, and it stuck with me. I actually heard it again this week. Uh, you know, there's a there's a preacher that I respect highly. His name's John Bevere. I love John Bevere, man of God through and through. I've been with him uh, off stage. He's a real deal. Okay, and and John said this. John said this years ago. His wife Lisa. She also preaches. Incredible minister. And uh, he told a story about him and Lisa sitting at the table when their boys were younger, and uh, they got four boys, and they're sitting at the table, and, and he lets them know, he says, boys, I want you to know today that there's nothing that you'll ever be able to do that will make your mom and I love you more than we already do. And he said he watched his boys poke out their chest, because why? Because that kind of love brings assurance and confidence in you, Right? Dad's love, it should. God's love does the same thing to us. And then he said this, but I want you to know that you, by the decisions you make, basically decide how pleased we are with you. (laughs) Listen, if you're a parent here, you know that's true, right? You know there's time, man, you you, you look at that little knucklehead kid and and you love him as much as you, you don't know how to love him anymore, but you can be heartbroken and disappointed in him at the same time. Right? So, so what I'm trying to say is, is this, is, is all of this that we're talking about today has, really doesn't have anything to do with the love of God. God loves us unconditionally. What it has something to do with is how pleased God is with us or not. Am I making sense? Right? And, and remember, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, that he makes it his aim, his goal in life, to live a life pleasing to God. And so I just have this hunch that where the pleasure of the Lord is, the glory will soon follow. 
right? And so if you and I live, live lives that please the Lord, then guess what's going to follow in our lives? His glory. Isn't that the goal? Yes? So one final thought, and I'll be done. The fullness of God's grace will always produce purity of heart. I don't know if that's up there. Yeah, awesome. I didn't know I put it in there. The fullness of God's grace will always produce purity of heart, power against sin, and a passion to live for Him. Right? That's the circle, right? That's, that's the truth. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. Yeah, just say this with me. Say, Father, Father. I'm asking you today, in the name of Jesus, to help me understand the fullness of your grace. And I'm asking, based off that revelation, that you would help me to walk and live in the fullness of that grace. Yeah, let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for every person that's here today. Uh, Father, I, I believe you spoke really clear, hopefully clear in Jesus' name. And Lord, I'm just asking God that you would get in our hearts. And Lord, that you would just explode the true measure and the fullness of your grace. Yes, that is in your goodness, but there's also holiness that you are, once again, truth and grace. And God, that we would walk in all that you promised for us. And Lord, that we wouldn't limit who you are in our lives. We wouldn't limit who we can be in you. And so, Lord, we just ask, God, that you would help us. In fact, Lord, I'm just asking for every person today, God, as they go throughout the week, Lord, that they would, once again, that this revelation, a seed, would just begin to grow inside of them, God, until they are, once again, it becomes second nature to walk in the empowering grace and then in the undeserving grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.